0: We what we have built is a global national security state, which is fantastically expensive, and there are many different component parts from the underground bases to the secret space program, but essentially it's a you know I call it the tapeworm. It is a financial parasite that is simply you know harvesting and destroying great parts of the economy. You're listening to the Corbett Report.
1: Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com in a conversation that is being recorded on the 26th of November, 2019. And today we are talking once again to Catherine Austin Fitz of Solari.com. And you will definitely remember her because we had the chance to talk to her not so dis- not, in the not so in the not-so-distant past just a couple of months ago. We were talking about the financial coup d'etat. So go back to interview 1479 if you happen to miss that conversation. I think it was a particularly important one On a particularly important topic that I've been attempting to cover for a number of years now, uh, just type missing trillions into my search bar and you'll find several different reports that I've done over the years on it. But more importantly, go to missingmoney.solari.com for much more detailed reports, including a detailed breakdown of the 21 trillion, yes, that is trillion with a T, $21 trillion that we know has gone missing or somehow is being fudged on the books over the past several years. You'll also want to pick up a copy of the Solari Report, specifically The Real Game of Missing Money, a two-part series that the Solari Report has recently published, uh, details of which will be in the show notes uh, for today's conversation, along with everything else. Catherine Austin-Fitz, thanks for joining us once again.
0: Thanks, James. It's always great to be back. Well,
1: it's good to have you back, especially because since the last time we talked, there has been a little bit of some sort of movement on this topic specifically we were talking of course and noting about for example the pentagon's failed audit last year well they've just gone through a second failed audit but don't (laughs) worry they were expecting this one so it's okay of course they're going to fail uh is there anything any details from this failed audit that are important for people to know about
0: well, I think what's important to recognize is that their solution for all of this is to change the policy. So we had the issuance late last year of Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board Statement 56, which gives them permission to move things secret. And so now, you know, whether they pass an audit or not, it's meaningless. If they if they announce James they passed an audit, I would tell you it's meaningless. Because what they've done is, you know, they've solved the ultimate a uh, problem of cookbooks by simply institutionalizing secret books. And more important, it's a secret process by secret people who create secret books and you can't know who did it or what they did. And so when you look at the financial statements of the 24 covered agencies, they didn't just do it for DOD. They did it for The covered agencies, and approximately 154 other government entities. And when you add in the classification laws, it includes all the big banks and corporations doing business with government. And so literally now, when you pick up the financial statements of any of the major players at the New York Fed, or any of the major financial institutions, any of, of the major defense contractors, you have no idea what their financial statements mean. So this is a complete You know, this is the most, the majority of the U.S. securities market, including the U.S. treasuries market, going dark. So all the information that investors need to do proper due diligence is gone. And so if the Department of Defense said that they either pass or don't pass an audit, it's totally meaningless. You have no idea what it means. And it's interesting if you look at the leadership of Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board that promulgated this policy what they said was their only other choice was essentially to permanently recuse the Department of Defense's financial statements. Now, I would say that's far preferable because now what you've done is you've essentially recused the entire U.S. government financial statements. So we are real, you know, I call it never, Neverland accounting. We are truly in never, never land accounting. And it's, uh, it's quite remarkable.
1: So on that note, I think it is important to bring up the context. There was recently a costs of war project at Brown University's Watson Institute for Inst- right. In- International and Public Affairs report on the war right. on terror that ha- claims 801,000 lives and $6.4 trillion have been spent on this war on terror. Um, right. Again, what what meaning does any of those numbers have, given that this is coming from public statements from the DoD?
0: Um. They have some meaning in the sense that we know we've spent a fantastic amount of money fielding and managing and using a global military. So we have a significant military presence and bases all around the world, and we know that it's fantastically expensive. So whether these numbers make sense or not, I don't know. Now, I happen to believe you know, if you go back to the history of the black budget, back to 47 and 49, what you have is you have this rapacious secret operations that are constantly demanding more and more money. And of course, the more you build and invest in them, the more they demand, you know, so underground bases require maintenance, global spraying requires more spraying. If there's a secret space program, you know, spaceships get old and need to be replaced. So this thing seems to compound and grow over time. And we literally saw with FASB 56 a decision for the secret part of the finances and the secret operations to basically take over the, you know, we have an overt economy and a covert economy and the covert economy and the hidden system of finance just basically took over everything. Now we've been watching this for years so for years, people have been complaining as the secret money rolled into Wall Street, you know, and took, you know, increasingly took over the media industry and other industries. We've seen complain of the dirty money rolling in and, you know, building the offshore havens. And so this has been going on for a long, long time, because what the, the 21 trillion missing from the federal government since fiscal 1998 is just part of this growth of a secret national security state and the explosion this was growing steadily but 9 11 really exploded um the growth and a decision you know the war on poverty was good but then they turned you know we did the next the war on drugs that was good and then they needed a new shtick essentially and then we started the war on terror and it's very interesting if you go back and research i've just been reading a couple of books about the early part of the war on terror you have this fantastically expensive national security state looking for terrorists, (laughs) you know, and having to create terrorists so they can have a war on terror. And um, we, what we have built is a global national security state, which is fantastically expensive. And there are many different component parts from the underground bases to the secret space program. But essentially it's a, you know, I call it the tapeworm. It is a financial parasite that is simply you know, harvesting and destroying great parts of the economy.
1: Exactly right. And if we have lost anybody about Fast B 56 and what specifically happened, I will suggest they go back and listen to our first conversation where we did talk about that. But let's move on because you did broach the subject that I really want to get into today, which is, so what is this money being used for? And let's pick up on something that you mentioned last time that I think is important. Uh, You mentioned that the president of CalPERS back in April of 1997 warned you that they have given up on the country. They are moving all the money out starting in the fall. What does that mean? What did that? How did you interpret that at the time? Well, and what have I, you since come to understand? At time,
0: what I thought he meant, I was, I was presenting a proposal to a leading group of pension fund leaders, who were very interested in rebuilding the U.S. economy and sort of getting the U.S. economy on a sound foot. And I had done incredible deep diving and looking at the U.S. government budget and the U.S. economy by place. So America breaks down to 3,100 counties. And what we had discovered was that the government money had a negative return on investment and could easily be re-engineered to a positive in a way that would create enormous capital gains on the real estate and the economy... And could really help the pension funds make their targets because the great concern at that time was how would the pension funds, you know, sort of support the boomers in their old age. And so we had rolled out an entire presentation on this Reengineering of the government budget and doing it place by place in 3,100 counties in a way that would produce huge capital gains for the pension funds and take care of the retirement, sort of rejuvenating, you know, was sort of a 1997 version of Make America Great Again in the face of globalization and what globalization was doing to employment. So the president of CalPERS, who was one of the members, froze and he said, you know, uh, this was Alinsky's plan and they stopped him. And, uh, I said, well, you know, what we're talking about is now we have technology that can radically increase learning metabolism in communities that can create enormous equity wealth. And he, then he froze and he looked at me and he said, you don't understand. It's too late. They've given, uh, they've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. He said, you've got to get to Nick, meaning Nick Brady, who'd been the former secretary of the treasury, who'd been the chairman of Dylan Reed, where I was a partner He said, you've got to get to Nick and tell them that it's not too late. It's not hopeless. And I thought he meant James that they had given up on investment in the country and they had given direction to all the pension funds. To reallocate equity to investment in the emerging markets as part of globalization, and so I thought he meant that the pension funds were going to shift equity, and the big investors and the you know the big in school endowments, foundation endowments were going to shift their allocation from U.S. domestic equity to global equity, and not just to the developed markets, but to the emerging markets. So I just thought he was talking about reallocate legal reallocation of legal monies. And then what happened was we discovered when he said it's starting in the fall, fall is the beginning of the federal fiscal 1998 year. When the fiscal 1998 year closed, what we discovered was fantastic amounts of money were going missing from HUD. Now, the reason I was focused on HUD is having been a leader of the reform of HUD information systems technology and financial and legal arrangements, I knew that there was no reason for HUD's books to not be absolutely perfect. You know, HUD had the resources, it had the laws, it had everything it needed to have perfect books. Why would fantastic amounts of money start to go missing? And at the time I had a a Senate staffer complain to me, the the chief of staff to the senator who was in charge of the appropriation committee for HUD that HUD was quote, being run as a criminal enterprise. Now, what you need to understand is HUD is run essentially by the Treasury Department, the Department of Justice, the New York Fed member banks with J.P. Morgan Chase in the lead, and a group of big IT contractors at that time, Lockheed Martin, uh, DynCorp was in there. And so you can't run HUD as a criminal enterprise unless they intentionally are organized to run it that way, which I later came to believe. So so what we saw was not a movement of the overt equity out of the U.S. What we saw was a covert movement of massive amounts of money being pulled out of the United States to be reinvested, you know, your guess is as good as mine. I think some of it was reinvested in Asia, as he said it would be, um, but I think some of it uh, really represents an explosion of the covert side of the national security state and a real vision of okay we can run the planet on a unipolar model using the national security state and the war on terror is basically a you know a way to assert control of all resources globally you're looking at a command and control model for all resources and that necessitated dramatic increases in movements of our military globally which is exactly what happened
1: just to back up that timeline uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the first Inspector General report of the DoD missing trillions from 1999, looking at the 98 books?
0: Yes, yeah. Now we found it. It was, in fact, it was my attorney who found um, the HUD IG's uh, 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 testimony on the 1998 year saying the money was missing, and they'd given up trying to audit. And we're just going to quit. Now, if your bank account was missing fifty nine thousand dollars, I dare say you wouldn't just give up and say, "Well, if the bankers promise you, don't worry, it won't happen next year." You'd say, "No, I want my fifty nine thousand dollars back." So it was, you know, the behavior was bizarre. Um, but then I think it was, um, it was not that long after we discovered that one point one trillion went missing from DoD in one year. Uh, It was 99 or 2000, and then 2.3 trillion. And that's why when Rumsfeld stood up the day before 9 11 and said there's 2.3 trillion, we thought it was a modified hangout because he didn't mention the 1.1 missing the year before. So it was up to 3.3 or 3.4, depending on how you round up trillion, as of the day of 9 11. And in fact, that Friday, we were coming out with a major front cover story article in Insight Magazine about the missing money and how it broke down by state and what it meant to every person. And You know, whether it was their student loans or the pension funds, this is $65,000 per person. And so we're talking about a dramatic amount of money hitting people, whether it hits them and, you know, it disappears from their pocketbook. Or it hits them because they're taking terrible currency debasement and their cost of goods is going up 10% a year.
1: All right. So you have raised the specter of some of the things that could be enabled with this type of money. For example, underground bright bases, spraying programs, secret space program, things that sound far fetched to anyone who thinks, obviously, there must be a financial infrastructure for this. We'd see it in the books. Well, no, we cannot see it in the books. That's the point. <laughs> What do we know and what do we not know about where this money is actually going?
0: We d- we don't know. First of all, we don't know how much money this really is in terms of cash or credit, hard credit, um, because some of the money could be revenues and some expenses. So, for example, we could be occupying Iraq and Afghanistan and taking very valuable minerals and oil out of them selling the oil and laundering the money back through or the drug sales back through DOD. I became convinced after many, many years of research that drug money was being laundered through the HUD accounts. So, so some of this could be revenue. Some of this could be expenditures. We don't know what we do know is there's plenty of anecdotal information that documents that there are extraordinary expenditures going on in terms of underground basis. Um, now, could that money be clawed through the black budget in the in the DOD budget? There's a process where money can be clawed out of different agencies and taken into a black budget and is not disclosed because it's a sort of secret budget. So, so could that all those underground bases have been funded from the black budget? Yes, but they could also have been funded from this. Um when the Kennedy assassination happened, if you look at the rise and the percentage of space expenditures as a portion of the budget and the GDP, what happened is after that it started to fall. What I believe is in fact, it continued. They just took it dark. And this, you know, these various forms of disappearing or missing money was one of the ways they funded. So I happen to believe that there's tremendous expenditures spent on space that we don't see. Um, if you look at globalization, globalization could happen, James, because we had the the global satellite infrastructure necessary to ensure enforcement. No investor puts money any place where they cannot enforce. And it was the global satellites and whatever our presence was in space that was very, very critical to allowing globalization and that kind of investment to happen. Um, but the other thing we know is we have tremendous – Uh, evidence of all sorts of unusual spaceships flying around the planet. You know, and what I've said to various people is, you know, that's $150 trillion of hardware. Where'd it come from? Somebody built it, right? So um, if you, if you simply look at the kind of hardware that's floating around the planet and flying around the planet and the high technology, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a big intuitive leap to say, I'll bet you we built some of it.
1: Yeah. And even what is on the yeah. record that we know that we don't know, uh, the the right. classified space shuttle uh, flights that we know nothing about what they were up there for, or the X-37B, which they like to tout as well, this mysterious space plane right. that we don't know anything about, just came back from its latest two-year mission or whatever it is. Uh, but that's right. what we so know me, that we don't know. So
0: let me bring up another one. One of the things that is so remarkable about the U.S. economy, the U.S. economy is very centrally controlled. And it's controlled because we use government money to control places as opposed to optimize the economy in places. You know, so we waste, for example, if you look at private prisons, I've written a book sort of describing the waste of private prisons. Um, and private prisons in 1996 were costing $154,000 per person per year. I mean, fantastically wasteful amounts of money. And um, and so this negative return on on investment has been unbelievably expensive and in 1996 when we started globalization add to that extraordinary manipulation of the markets with some of it was derivatives but it would have required a real stockpile of money i mean you would need um you know what one investor will call the hammer uh or sometimes i'll call it a bazooka he says if you have a bazooka then you don't need to need you don't need to use it and um you know but we really created somehow a financial bazooka that no matter you know, where the gold price wanted to go, we could press it down and you could just layer on derivatives after derivatives. So some of this money, my guess is, was absolutely parked in the exchange stabilization fund in places like that and use that to help make this global model go because there are big parts of this global model that are very expensive and have a negative return on investment. It's all about the control and concentration of cash. It's not about the control and, you know, sort of optimization of equity. So I think that's another place. Global spraying is one, I believe, is one of these expenses. Because if you, no matter where you are in the world, when you sort of watch the spraying and, and try and count up, okay, how many planes, how many pilots, how much would the spray cost? And you just make a wild, you know, we call it a WAG estimate, wild ass guess. You know, th- we're talking about something which is fantastically expensive. And so my guess is that some of this money has gone into global spring. Finally, during the period, if you, if you sort of look at when the money's going missing and then you look at the offshore havens, there is, you know, it's like the Pillsbury Doughboy. This is leaving and this is rising, and it's, so it's almost so perfect. It's unbelievable. So I think a lot of cash has gotten stockpiled offshore in a whole variety of interests. Um, Finally, one of the, One of the interesting or more interesting uses, and I can't say this is one of the biggest ones, undergrad bases in Global Spring is pretty big. One of the things you see is all the different fraudsters and money networks seem to have a proclivity for investing in advanced research. So Madoff, some of the money that disappeared through Madoff went to MIT brain research. Some of the money that went through Epstein went to MIT brain research. And I happen to think that a lot of the political problems we're facing right now, the biggest one is mind control. And I think if you look at how much money has gone into manipulating human beings, manipulating their minds, accessing their minds, building the kind of NSA surveillance we know we have, you know, you're trying to build a global mind that can be centrally controlled, and I think a fantastic amount of money has gone into that Absolutely. research. Absolutely,
1: and that ties into the DARPA Brain Initiative, and also serial right. scamsters like Elon Musk and his Neuralink and things. Like that. Oh! Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I used to have a friend who was very knowledgeable about Musk and the people around him who kept saying, "Look." Musk is very, very dark. You know, there's very serious occult things going on here. You have to, you know, pay attention and not quote Musk. This, you know, this was all to justify I me mean, not quoting Musk. And then when I watched the Neuralink, his Neuralink speech, that's a man on a leash. <laughs> 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 but it was one of the most bizarre speeches I've ever yeah. watched in my life. And mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of bizarre speeches. Yeah. There are, there are
1: kind of jokes that go around on the Internet that he's some sort of cyborg or something, but it really does make you wonder what exactly his brain is on um,
0: the, the way. Well, he I actually I don't laugh. I ran into one person very recently. Uh, you know, I used to listen to some of the people who would leave Washington and say, you know, some of the presidents are cyborgs or doubles or, you know, you know, you never know what to make of it. Um, but I dealt with one person not that long ago you know one of the things i love about humans is they always have this divine spark no matter how far gone they are they've got that divine spark and you know i was raised as a quaker so we're big on divine spark and you have to find the light in everybody i dealt with a person who had no spark none it was and it was every time you talked to them it was like you know when the hourglass spins they were waiting for their download from the ai and the neural network to tell them what to say next and it was I don't know, it was the most bizarre experience, one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. And I said, oh, no, could this really be possible?
1: One never knows. And the the the, the thing is that the the economic um, opacity is what enables any of this to right. b- potentially be true. We truly have no idea what is going on under the cover of this Here, Here's
0: what's interesting. There is a history. What we ought to do, we ought to get a group of us and do a history of secret money for secret operations and secret armies starting in 47 to 49, or we can even go back from, you know, to 1913 in the creation of the federal reserve because it's the fiat currency and the ability to use that fiat currency globally that makes this all go. So it goes back to the federal reserve and, and, and we go back. And if you look, there are thousands of people who fought and died to try and stop the secret money for secret operations and secret armies. And that's what it is. It's just secret money, secret operations, secret armies. Forrestal got killed for that reason. McCarthy got killed for that reason. Kennedy got killed for that reason. The people who died in nine 11 got killed for the reason. All the people who were destroyed on the drug narcotics trafficking into their communities. Same thing. It's, it's the same story for, you know, almost a century. And yet somehow we never look at it as one continuous story. And that's what it is.
1: That's exactly right. That's something that really occurred to me when I was putting together my Century of Enslavement documentary is that essentially the history of America has been the history against the central bankers or people who want to create that institution. And when you see the the struggle in that light, a lot of the history actually makes sense in a very different way. So. I agree. Right. Completely. And
0: what's a, what's remarkable is if you if you look at the the system of secret money for secret operations and secret armies if you look at who runs it and who controls it it's it's a remarkably few group of people. And that's why I've always thought why are we letting a remarkably small group of people do this? Now, I believe that one of the sticking points that has given them their power is you have, you know, in 47 and 49, when they, when they assassinated Forrestal, I think you had a group of people who really believed that the general population couldn't handle the truth. You know, whether I don't necessarily agree with that, I think they can, but I think they really believe that they were sincere. And then once you build up an infrastructure that is financially addicted to secrecy, which is the most powerful financial addiction in the world, James. Once you, you build up something, the legal liability of trying to reverse it, you know, could be catastrophic and they don't, you have a cycle of disrespect between the general population and the leadership and the leadership don't trust the general population to do sort of an adult transition and and so we have this cycle of disrespect on top of it and it puts us in a real pickle and meantime you know the whatever you want to call it the secret secret operations and secret armies just get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier
1: absolutely we can see how that makes sense in an institutional sense um but it raises the question, you're an investigator, and one of the things I love about the work you do at Solari is that you're very fact and detail oriented and you're able to draw out the meaning of of information as it as it lies. So the question then becomes, given that generally, if we are looking for how, the the real basis of an operation, how it works, how it's functioning, we follow the money. The money right. speaks the tale. right. We can't do that in this case. So how right. do we start to get a handle on these secret
0: programs? Well it's interesting i i think you know nobody is as smart as all of us is what one pundit said and i think what we have to do is we have to start with the unanswered questions what are the important questions and what are unanswered and then what is the information even whether it's anecdotal or intuitive that we can gather together that will start to inform those questions and if you just keep asking those questions and collecting information, you know the group intelligence starts to kick in and go to work. Because, um, and part of it is learning how to connect, you know, the the sort of what we do know about what's going on with what we see in our neighborhoods. So, one of the reasons I was launching so, uh, software called Community Wizard that would allow you to look at the federal budget in your community is that you would start to notice, you know, so when I was assistant secretary of housing, I would get a download of where all the foreclosures were. And then you'd go to that block in Dallas and it said you have 10 foreclosures and there'd be an empty lot, you know, connect the dots. So I think part of it is learning how to bring it down into my day-to-day life and seeing it in my day-to-day life and taking the actions that can either protect me from it in my day-to-day life or help me sort of navigate it. Because, um, you know, sometimes when you bump into this in your day-to-day life, you just need to, you know, move away. Sometimes, you know, you're in the middle of a meeting and realize, oh, the people I'm meeting with are not on the up and up, and you just have to navigate your way through.
1: Yeah. Um, you. And on that note, it is important to bring this back to something that we can actually do about this rather than just I mean, it's fun to speculate about where this is going and what have you, but you're doing something very important over at Solari that I hope people have seen. Um, it's called the My 21 2020 campaign. Right. Uh, and we'll put right. the link into the video uh, highlighting this campaign. But I want to talk about what it is that people can do about this 21 trillion or whatever it is, right. uh, and, and so, taking some of that power back into their own hands.
0: So I believe a fantastic amount of money has disappeared, both on the bailouts and on missing money. And we have the power to get it back. And the reason I've stuck with this for 30 years is I've known we have the power to get it back. So let's talk a little bit about how to do that. First of all, if you go to missingmoney.solary.com, there is a wealth of documentation on the legal structures of how finance works in the federal government. So if you want to do significant due diligence, you know, we have, uh, I got two of my attorneys to write out the whole framework. Um, and I've done a piece with my attorney on called caveat emptor on how to do due diligence if you're an investor. So there's a wealth of the detailed information, but then my 21, 2020 is to bring it down to the 2020 campaign campaigns in the United States. James are a time when people get together with their neighbors and really discuss the issues. You know, it's a, it's remarkable how much the Americans still invest in having a discussion of serious issues during the campaign. And um, so we wanted to get the $21 trillion back into the 2020 discussion, but in a way where people could use it. The first way to get this money back is to use it as political leverage. So I wrote a piece on the pension funds, pension.solari.com. It's called The State of Our Pensions. And I pointed out that the U.S. pension funds are underfunded by $5 trillion, which is a lot less than $21 trillion. And so I want to make sure that the pension trustees and pension beneficiaries, when the time comes, can come to the table and say, well, wait a minute, you gave $24 trillion to the banks, and there's $21 trillion missing from the federal government. Why is it a problem to fund that $5 trillion? Now, in the law, there's something called a common law right of offset. And if you are a contractor who has facilitated illegal payments or whether you're an IT contractor running the payment systems or you're a bank at the New York Fed running the depository and the payment systems, the, the New York Fed is the depository for the U.S. government. So all banking transactions go through the New York Fed and their members as agents providing that depository. So if you're J.P. Morgan Chase and you've facilitated these tractions under under the law you're liable for those monies if those were illegal transactions and you knew it so you know JP Morgan Chase in 2018 earned 32 billion dollars 32 billion dollars a year for the next 100 years would fund a lot of pension funds would fund a lot of social security so so there are ways whether it's political leverage or there are ways whether it's basically holding the the people responsible who've done this, there are ways of getting this money back. So if you look at the posters, one of my favorite posters is this really cool looking young guy and he says, you know, about my student loan debt, Mr. President, take it from the 21 trillion. <laughs> That's the common law right of offset that I love. When, um, when I settled my litigation with the federal government, I had one of the banks who I believed was the most responsible. And I owed them $14,000. And at the time, that was approximately the amount of missing money I identified. And I wrote them a letter and said, you know, you owe me 14000 and I owe you 14000 And I'm asserting common law right of offset. Goodbye. And that was it.
1: It's an incredible and powerful idea, and it's one that needs to be popularly understood and adopted for it to have exactly. that kind of resonance, which is why I'm totally on board with hijacking the selection circus of 2020 and all of the craziness right. that will go around that to an issue that actually matters. Can you imagine right. if we got a real issue with real substance so, on the table?
0: So let me describe. $21 trillion is $65,000 per person. And I don't care what your issue is, whether it's student loan debt, whether it's pension fund, whether it's healthcare. care, 65,000, 65,000 per person. So for a family of four, you know, we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars that solves many, if not most practical problems. So uh, so this is real money and and. If we apply it as a real money strategically to the things that government is supposed to be doing, but they're not doing because that money disappeared someplace else, then we're talking about having a real conversation. And that's why, you know, it was really irritating when people started to talk about reparations. I said, what about reparations for everybody? (laughs) You know, let's do some real accounting.
1: The money is there. Let's do some. It is there. Exactly. All right. I I very much appreciate that. But I actually wanted to leave today's conversation on on a different note, because, of course, all of this takes place within the context of society generally and what's happening with the general mindset. And I wanted to point at something from your uh, 2018 wrap up where you wrote about 2019, get ready, get ready, get ready. And you said, as we debate our sovereign rights and freedoms, we are experiencing an unprecedented effort to assert central control, often by covert means, and to brainwash and mind control the general population into financing and supporting the forces acting against us. As we finance this invasion, secrecy, corruption, and organized crime continue to grow. At the same time, our culture continues to be debased. So you cr- laid out four scenarios for 2019 based on two variables, right. humanity and transparency. Explain to people a little bit about that and what you think. Uh,
0: right. So I think the most important issue before every one of us is are we going to be part of a society which is human or are we going in a, in a society that's lawful or are we going to be part of a society where inhumane practices prevail? And if you look at what some people call transgen- uh, transhumanism, what I, I we've now started at Solaria to call subhumanism. You know, I think, I think we're talking about uh, central control, applying technologies in ways which are indeed slavery. I, I think they are subhuman and unacceptable. And as a society, what's important is not money. What is important is are we going to be a human society? Are we going to be individual? Beings who are sovereign under divine authority or are we basically going to be natural resources like oil deposits? I think that's the biggest question before us. And I think the most important every one of us uh, has to do in our daily life is say no I Refuse I refuse to participate in that and I stand for a human society
1: So tell us about your scenarios that you're working on for 2020
0: so, twenty twenty, last year, the the big issue was transparency or not, because so 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 you make four quadrants. You have two variables. one is human versus inhuman, one is transparent versus dark. And one of the things I talked a lot about last year, I'll talk a lot about this year is about how everything's going dark. Right now, I'm about to publish the state of our currencies. and uh, one of the things I'm going to look at is the trajectory of the dollar. And so this year, this time, it's going to be human versus inhuman. Again, I think, that's the most important issue. But then the question is, will the dollar hold for 2020 or will it go into a steep decline? Will it significantly lose market share in a way that's going to have a major impact throughout the developed world, not just America? You know, the dollar bubble has floated the entire developed world and you're going to see a very significant shift. So I want to look at the, after I finish publishing the state of the currencies, I'll look at the the sort of the variable of dollar holds for 2020 dollars significantly declines and then human versus inhuman. And of course that gives you four scenarios and that'll be part of the annual wrap up. The annual wrap up uh, James is a, is a wrap up of the deep state tactics. I published something that you'll find at missing money called personal history. It's my 30 years of, of trying to stop the money from going missing. And, um, and I needed to do it because people, kept believing the same excuse every year for 30 years and i needed a way to say look i've been listening to this excuse for 30 years and so it it doesn't hold weight the way it does so it was to try and give people a sense of the history and then the last chapter was going to be on all the tactics they use to target and stop people who try and bring transparency to the secret money the secret operations and the secret armies and it got very long. And to my shock and amazement, people were very interested in the day-to-day tactical issues of how control is engineered. So it's been quite a one of our most popular things at the Solari Report this year. We have more to do. We're going to wrap it all up and in the annual wrap-up, do sort of a mega on the deep state tactics like we did on the missing money. Um, and then of course we'll have the scenario plans, the scenario designs. I used to do those when I was doing investment advisory for families. And I find them absolutely critical for business planning, investment planning, and sort of personal planning of your time for the year. Because it's very important you're successful no matter which way the scenarios go. And it's very, very important given the change that we're accelerating into. You know, nobody can predict the future. The future is uncertain. And I believe it's our job to build the future, not to try and predict it and survive it. So um, scenarios make you flexible and help you learn how to you know, cuz I want to make sure that our subscribers succeed no matter what scenario comes true.
1: Exactly right. A good part of planning is to know the different directions that things could be trending and be prepared for those right. eventualities and how much you weight each of those scenarios. So, how much should I be thinking about this?
0: Well, I've seen so many people be terribly terribly hurt by getting vested in a particular scenario. And big mistake, the future uh, is uncertain and I think, you know, every year we have a section called unanswered questions. Cause I'm a great believer, even if you can't answer the question, you gotta keep asking it. And our biggest unanswered question is, who's really running this? The governance planet on this, the governance system on this planet is secret and invisible. It's all part of secret money for secret, you know, secret money for secret operations for secret armies makes it possible for a small group of people to run a secret governance system. Now, if we're going to re-engineer the financial system, the financial system is just a subset of the governance system. And so if you, want to, if you want to know how to re-engineer the financial system, you have to be able to answer the question, how does the governance system on planet Earth run? I can't believe I've lived on this planet this long and tried as hard as I have to understand it. And I still, I still couldn't get up in a court of law and document how it's done. And when you think about it, think of how strange it is that we live on a planet with 7 billion people and the fundamental economic and governance model is secret. That's nuts.
1: Perhaps that's that says something about human nature and the way humans <laughs> come together in society. Isn't it interesting how much people I... are willing to give up just for convenience? Oh, secret, government, whatever. As long as as long as long I get my burger and football, I'm
0: okay. Well, but I, I think that's the mind control kicking in. You know, what I find is that in every business, in every neighborhood, in every place, you have 10% of the people who I call the high energy, you know, they always give, they're entrepreneurs, they always give more energy than they get. If you come to where I live, you know, my mayor, a lot of the people in the city council, they're those net, I call them net energy plus people. They want to know. They do want to know, but they also don't want to get their family killed. They care. So they're trying to be effective. They're trying to not waste their time. I mean, I spent 11 years litigating with the federal government. I got to tell you, 36, I worked for free 36,000 hours. I was required by law and regulation in the courts to do 36,000 hours of free work to prove that I was right. And they know I was right. So not everybody can afford to do that. Not everybody wants to do that. And I'm very sympathetic. You know, I... I got mad. (laughs) Yeah. So I, right. If
1: you're not mad, you're not paying attention, but also if you're not doing something about it, then what is it worth getting mad about? So I think that there's the two halves that we have to connect there, the understanding with the action. And, uh, that's the only
0: reason, the only reason I did it, it was that line between the human and the inhuman, what they were doing. And I explained it all in my, my online book, Dylan Reed in the aristocracy of stock profits. What they were doing is they were dropping you know they were they were bringing drugs into into poor communities then they were dropping SWAT teams and rounding up kids who were either entrapped or innocent and they were stuffing them into private prisons and making money on the gentrification in the stocks you know those are slave labor camps that's what you know we were we were brought up to believe the germans were doing which was so very wrong and i just said if as a society we take innocent young people stuff them into slave labor camps where they make you know uniforms for the military if we do that we cross a line and if it can be done to them eventually it's going to be done to everybody and i was right you know if you look at where this is going it's being done increasingly to more and more people
1: and i find that throughout my work that's one of the connecting threads throughout everything that i do is it continually boils down to that question what What is our humanity and is it being taken away from us? And can we stop right. that? That's, that's really what this is all about.
0: I did a, a very great interview with a Saker, which will take public this week. We interview him quarterly. And I said to Saker, what do you think is the most important issue in the campaign? And he said, the most important issue in the 2020 campaign is, will America be a country of the rule of law? Because... We've held the reserve currency, James, because people believed in the fundamentals of the U.S. rule of law. And now what's happening is that whether it's through the sanctions being used with the dollar or sort of the politics being played with the dollar, the weaponization of the dollar, FASB-56, all the things we're talking about, unfortunately, the message the globe is getting is the U.S. is not a country where the rule of law prevails and we better get our money and run we need another plan
1: yeah but uh, in my research indicates that the pulling of the plug on the dollar is part of the long term plan
0: right that wouldn't surprise me
1: yeah i mean they're they're already starting to create the infrastructure for what comes next and what comes next is just a further centralization and further right. removed hands
0: right well imagine the you know the centralized digital currencies you can build with 50 trillion dollars
1: exactly Exactly, right, and that's why we've got Mark Carney talking about. Well, maybe the next reserve currency will be something like Libra. Yeah, oh, I, I see so so clearly <laughs> where this is trending, and it's not it's not good unless we get in front of that. And one of right. the things that we can do, at least to start, is something like. Uh, My212020, and I'll put the link again in the show notes so people can at least familiarize themselves with that. I'm looking forward to the annual wrap-up, but that's because I know about the the, the work that you do (laughs) and why it's important. But for people who don't, let's give the elevator pitch of the Solari Report and why people should be checking it out.
0: Okay so so we do a weekly interview and I do a weekly commentary money and markets and then quarterly I believe James that people are unbelievably busy and what they need is an uh, a distillation of all the news quarterly and then annually but then each wrap up both a quarterly and annually we go deep on one theme because I think if a very busy person understands the big trends um, and, and takes the time to go deep once a quarter on the big trends over time, you know whether it's the state of our pension funds, megacities, the rise of the Asian consumers. The one I'm working on now is the state of our currencies. The next one will be take action. Then the deep state tactics. If you understand these deep trends, you don't need to spend a lot of time watching the news. So the idea of the quarterly wrap-ups and the annual wrap-up, if you only read those or listen to them, they come in audio and um, a little bit of video and written form, if you only digest those, you will know you 'll be smarter than anybody in the room about what 's really going on
1: yeah that 's also a point I keep coming back to is that the news cycle the twenty four seven news cycle is meant to distract you from what 's really important right. a lot of the time, so right yeah, right, exactly Most of what's right. all right well, I, I hope people will you. check it out. All the links will be in the show notes, and i obviously this is an ongoing conversation we 'll have to have you back on in the future to continue this at some point. But we'll leave it there for today. Catherine Austin Fitz, com. Thank you so much for your time.
0: James, thank you. It's always a pleasure.